Welcome in to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the Pursuit of Manliness podcast. Men, I want to thank you for taking time and checking out today's show. If this is your first time coming across the Pursuit of Manliness, or maybe maybe took a bit of a break for a while, I don't know. Welcome back. We're glad you're here. When you get the chance, if you would, make sure you visit the Pursuit of manliness.com you can see what's available in the gear store you can sign up for our email newsletter information about tribe the herd all kinds of things going on over there you want to make sure you check out i do want to remind you the midweek a quiet life podcast which is what we're doing right now is sponsored by armored nation coffee now if you've never heard of armored nation coffee i want to say welcome to the podcast this must be your first time here because you know if you're familiar with this content I am a big fan of Armored Nation Coffee. They have been a sponsor of the podcast for probably, say, two years, I'm guessing. The last couple of years have been a blur. Um, there's a lot of companies that claim a lot of things. And we can buy into it, and we can believe the hype, and you can believe the marketing. I'm going to tell you right now, Randy LeVere, the owner of this place, he is. He is all the things that he says he is. He is a solid man of God. He's a veteran. He is is all the things that, that we root for, that we support. And he makes an incredible coffee. Um, if you've come to the men's retreat the last couple of years, he's the guy. He's the guy that's pouring the coffee, making the coffee. Really good human being. Loves Jesus, most importantly. But today, I've had Armored Nation. We the People blend. That's what I had. Dark roast gourmet coffee. This stuff is incredible. I'm telling you, don't waste your money other places. You can go on there. You can buy whole bean. You can buy ground. You can buy a, a, what they call them, K-cups. You can whatever. You can subscribe, whatever. This, this, you will not regret it. I remember, man, it's been a while. Um, I was getting the mail one day and the guy brought the box with my Armored Nation coffee and he said, I can smell it through the box. He didn't know what it was. He just knew it was coffee through the box. It's that good. I'm sitting here now. I got a bag in front of me. It's that good. You can smell it through the bag. He may have even converted some non-coffee drink. Maybe not. Maybe I'm exaggerating there. I don't know. Whatever. Sometimes that happens. But anyway, let's get into this. I want to look at Acts chapter six, eight through 15 today. Every Wednesday, we talk about living a quiet life. We talk about being men who, you know, um, we don't depend on other people. We work hard, mind our own business, right? But people need us. We need other people. We need to function at a high level as a man of God. Uh, we should not be the laziest ones. We should not be the last ones. We should not be the ones who become idle. We should not be the ones that people go, I just don't know if we can get him involved. I just don't, I don't ever do that. And I've said before, if that's who you are, and if you're going to go to church and be that kind of guy, please don't wear any pursuit of manliness gear, okay? Wear that on when you're mowing the grass or something like that. But don't don't wear it to church if you're going to be the guy that your pastor doesn't know if, if he can get you involved. Whatever. No, don't do that. And so we're looking at, in Acts 6, the early church just exploding, and the apostles are trying to do all this stuff. And it got to the point where they said, listen, we need to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word, Obviously, they've been starting to neglect that job, and to prayer. They said, we're, we're doing a lot. What's the problem? The problem is there's a slow grumble, a slow moaning and complaining going on, shocker, churches, and um, people were being overlooked for food distribution, so they started to find some people. They said, we need to find some people who can uh, get this done. They said, pick out from among you seven men of good re repute, good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom. That sounds different than most of the recruiting strategies I've come up with through the years. Usually find someone who's willing to work week two, second service. They'll work well with this person. They don't drill in a cup. We'll take them. They said, no, we want people, high character, great reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. <clears throat> in this group, 
there's a man named Stephen. And if you read Acts chapter 6 and go into uh, Acts chapter 7, where he gives his speech, one of the greatest messages in the Bible, I think it's top four, top four, top five, we find a guy named Stephen. He went from putting turkey sandwiches on a plate to giving one of the greatest sermons the world has ever seen, top four, top five, as I said, and becoming the first Christian martyr. Stephen, full of grace and power. It says, uh, verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Essentially, that is love in action. What Stephen said he was, he was. What I just said about Randy, Randy is who you think he is. That's it. He is. He's all the things that you say, man, that's what I'm looking for. That's it. And so wonders and signs are being done, not because he's got some kind of magic powers or anything. No, the Holy Spirit working through him. Holy Spirit working through him, and uh, he glad, he gladfully does. He does this with a, a joyful heart. If anybody should be joyful serving in a church, should it not be Christians? If anyone should be joyful serving in your community, should it not be Christians? But we are some of the laziest while I'm at it. We're some of the cheapest people on the planet. Christians, what's the whole complaint about eating out on Sundays and whatever, okay? We're cheap. We're lazy. We typically model things that we detest in other people. Not Stephen. While he's there, there's some people that rise up. They're from the synagogue of the freedmen, which basically means that uh, they had been taken captive as slaves by Pompey. Uh, they were once slaves of Rome. But now they're not. And they rise up, and they begin to, uh, what's it say? They rose up and disputed with Stephen. They're jealous of him. Verse 10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So we have a group of people in the synagogue here, people from the Cyrenians, Alexandrians. Those are from Cilicia, where Paul is from, also known as Saul right now. He's there. What did they do? They rose up. Rose up gives us the image of their posture changed, right? You know, I've joked before, and I'm, I'm kind of serious, but I've joked before. I've never, I don't recall ever being angry in an Adirondack chair. I don't ever being upset in an Adirondack. There's something about sitting in Adirondack chairs. I got a buddy that fell out of one one night on a Zoom call. That was pretty hilarious. Um, but typically speaking, Adirondack chairs, the way you sit, your posture, pretty comfortable. I said, I need to get a couple of those from my house and from my office. I haven't, uh, but, but someday. Obviously, they're not sitting in Adirondack chairs because those are hard to get out of. They rose up. They got out of their chair. And they're like, oh, yeah? Now, you know, when the posture changes, everything goes out the window. Logic is out the window. Reasoning is out the window. Chuck Swindoll said once, dynamic people rarely evoke neutral responses. They are either loved or hated. The problem is these guys can't withstand the wisdom and the spirit that Stephen's speaking with. They don't have it. They think they do. You know this isn't going to end well, right? I don't, I don't know if I've ever engaged in an intense conversation like what is described here in Acts. And one of the parties, including myself, said, you know what, hold up, hold up, hold up. I think you're right. No. And if I'm honest, there's probably been times I've been in a conversation, a heated exchange, and I knew I was wrong or knew that I didn't maybe have the right verbal ammo, but you stay with it anyways, don't you? Pride. Pride. Stephen's intellect was a strength that they didn't possess, but more importantly, he's standing there full of the Spirit. Think about that. You standing in front of the HR group, you standing in the company meeting, you standing in the break room, you standing on the production line, you standing in the teacher's lounge, wherever you're at, 
and standing up and defending your faith with people who have rose up, physically got up, and who are upset at you, and as we see from the text, glaring at you, and could physically, and will physically, hurt you. And Stephen just holds his peace. Pretty impressive. It reminds me of what Paul wrote about putting on the full armor of God. Three or four different times within that text, he talks about being able to stand and withstand and stand firm and stand therefore. I just wonder if Paul didn't get some of that imagery from Stephen that day. I just wonder if Paul, who was Saul then, I would just wonder if as he sees Stephen standing there and he's with these group of people and he's thinking, we are going to eliminate you just like we did Jesus, just like we'll do with your other ragamuffin group here. We're fixing to wipe you guys out. We have all the influence, all the authority we need, and we'll take you out. There's an invisible something about Stephen that Paul and the rest of them can't figure out. And what is it? It's his armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, the feet fitted with the, the readiness of the gospel of peace, praying at all times. I imagine in this moment Stephen saying some prayers. You get the image here pretty, pretty, um, it's pretty obvious, I think. Stephen's by himself. We'll get into that in just a minute. Look at, look at verse 11. They secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Against who? Moses and God. You put Moses ahead of God. If you know your Old Testament, nothing goes ahead of God. It's commandment number one. Nothing goes ahead of God. No. Uh, if you talk to somebody long enough and it gets emotional or they feel like their backs are against the wall or they're trying to defend themselves in a scenario that they've created or that you, you know, whatever, and they feel the heat of the moment, their heart will always be revealed. And that's what's happening here. Moses and God. So they secretly instigated guys to lie. And they stirred up the people. This reminds me when Jesus is on trial and they were stirring up the people going, crucify him, right? Crucify him. We want him. We don't want Barabbas. We want him. People are like, okay. I hate when I get secretly instigated, stirred up by people. Commercials, social media, they're just trying to get a reaction out of you. Just scroll on. Or, or more importantly, log off. And the elders and the scribes and all who came upon him seized him and brought him before the council. Now, the word seize here is sunarpazo. S-U-N-A-R-P-A-Z-O. To seize suddenly and violently, to grasp with violence, like a wolf grasping a sheep out of a pen, and he ain't going to bring him back. He was taken with the idea, you're not coming back here. Now, this is not like a teacher breaking up a fight in junior high and pulls the kids out and tries to split you up and figure out what's going on. No, 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 no. Uh, he, he will not be returning. This, this is over. Stephen is now standing before the Supreme Court of the Jews giving defense for his faith. And again, what's, what's their big hook? Moses and God. What they fail to recognize is the person that, that he's speaking for, Jesus, and they'll use a derogatory term about Jesus here in just a second. He's greater than Moses. But Jesus didn't have disregard for Moses. You don't see Jesus dogging on Moses. He says, yeah, all good. And I'm affirming that, but I'm doing a new thing. They don't like new things. Some people just don't like new things. They like what they know, and even if they don't know why they like it, they just like it because they know it. Makes no sense, but that's what we got. You stay in a state of misery because at least you know that it's miserable. You say, I'll go with that. Verse 13 
What's the accusation here? They stirred up false witnesses who said this man never ceases. You talk about a sweeping statement. He never stops talking against this holy place and against the law. We never, he never stops. He, he never takes a break. Sweeping statements. That's what we do when we're upset. We Irrational. Attacks get personal. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, there's a derogatory term, Nazareth, a place that was despised. Saying Jesus was from Nazareth places him in an earthly spot that nobody thinks a lot of and says, there's no way he's the son of God. And this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And we don't want our customs to change. We like doing the things the way that we do it. And everybody that goes to a church said, amen. That's, that's what we do. If we change it, we got to have like a four-week you know, lead up to it. And we have to get a vote. And you know, old sister so-and-so, she's going to get upset about it. And these people might leave the church because who cares? And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Let, let me go back. I don't mean who cares if somebody leaves. But if you leave because they changed the carpet or something, you would have left for a different reason. Okay? What's the accusation? Never stop speaking against the synagogue. Never stops, never stops. We like our traditions. Tradition to them mattered more than truth did. There are people who that that's more important to them. As long as they can have it their way, they really don't care what is true. I just want to have it my way. I read the story back in like 1903. There was a Russian sentry that was guarding a post, and it was like no reason for this guy to be there. So they went up and said, "Why are you Why are you guarding this spot? It's obviously it's a desolate spot to be." He's like, "I don't I don't know. That's what I was told to do." So they kept going higher up the chain to figure out. Okay, and I, I don't know exactly who was asking all these questions. They wanted to figure out what was going on, and eventually they get to the top. He says, "I really don't know either. I'll figure out the answer." Why do we have a guy out there in the middle of nowhere just standing next to a post? Come to find out, back in 1776, that was a great year for us. Back in 1776, Catherine the Great planted a rose bush and said, I want a sentry to guard that. Evidently, the rose bush had died like 80 years after that. So we have 127 years of a guy just standing at a post for no reason at all, just because. Listen, just because you ignore truth... That would not make it less true. Just because you're doing something that's an utter waste of time means it's a waste of time, whether you believe it is or not. And listen, traditions aren't bad. I think there's a lot of value in traditions. I know for me personally, I get very nostalgic about certain things, certain traditions. But let's hold to what is true over what is a tradition. It says, in gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you know that in Exodus 34... 29 to 35, Moses meets with God. He comes down the hill, down the mountain, and they're like, man, we can't even look at you. Why? Your face is shining so bright. He had to put a veil over his face. There's something about men who have been in the presence of God. We've said it on a number of occasions. There is a difference between being a Christian guy and a man of God. There's just, you, you, we cannot spend time in the presence of God and not be changed by it. I do think it's possible to spend time around other Christians and not be impacted. It is possible to be in Christian gatherings and meh, be indifferent when it's over. I, I, I think that. But being in the presence of God, especially intentionally being in the presence of God, is going to change you. And the irony of this is Stephen standing before the Supreme Council, if you will, the Sanhedrin, and it says that all gazing him saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now I wonder if I wonder if somebody said, that dude looks like an angel. 
I don't know why Luke writes it down. I don't know how we got this back. Here's why I find this interesting. They don't believe in angels. He's in front of a group of people who don't believe in angels. Tell me our God does not specialize in irony. He looks like an angel. If there was one, if they believe, like I don't believe in dinosaurs. I've never have. You can, I don't care. People ask me about it all the time. It doesn't matter. I'll never say that, that thing looks like a dinosaur. I say it looks like, you know, you get what I'm saying? God says, you don't believe in that stuff? How about this? Now, here's the tension here, men. We can read Acts 6 and Acts 7 and say, see, that's why I don't speak up. Jared, I'm living a quiet life, minding my own business. I keep my mouth shut, work hard, pay my bills. Sometimes you're going to have to speak up. Stephen speaks up here. He doesn't lose his mind. He doesn't come unraveled. He doesn't yell. He doesn't get a sandwich board. He doesn't get a megaphone. Doesn't come up with a new t-shirt to sell. So all the people know this is what we're about. No, Stephen just stands there. He holds his ground with his armor of God that he's wearing, with the Holy Spirit burning hot inside of him. And if you read the rest of 6, well, really the rest of 7, I should say. We're at the end of 6. You read 7. You're going to read a sermon that goes through Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, Psalms. Yeah, he's going to cover a lot of ground. He doesn't get emotional. Doesn't lose his cool. He says, hey, this is what's true. We need more men and women, for that matter. I know there's women that listen to this, too. We need more Christians who say, I'm not budging. I know if I don't, you know, I don't. J.R. Miller said this. If we go out in Christ's name to speak for him, there will always be one, capital O there, one with us whom no man can withstand. We have an advantage that they don't understand. I mean, imagine that. You go to your, your friend, your coworker, your whatever, your cashier, the guy changes your oil and he's got something going on. You know, he's like, man, they're all funky and they, you know, what are you, man, you good? No, I got this going on. I'll pray for you. What's the worst thing that could happen? He makes fun of you. He's the one going through the stuff. What if he says, no, don't, I don't believe in that stuff. You say, okay, I'll pray for you at home. I won't do it here. Maybe he says, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing it, man. Can we do it right now? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's pray right now. But what if he says, no, don't pray for me? You go, I'll pray for you at home. Don't do that. You can't stop me. I mean, could you imagine? You can't stop me. I'm praying for you right now. You can't even see it. Keep talking. Because the longer you talk, the more I keep praying. Could you imagine that scenario where you go, I'm not budging. I have access to God, the Father, the creator of the cosmos, who's holding this whole thing together by a breath. And I'm going to worry if the guy with a name on his shirt gets upset that I say I'm going to pray for him. Or laugh, what's he going to do? Laugh at you? Mock you? I, I don't what the cashier per, person in line going, I can't believe you believe that stuff. I'm praying for you too. And they're going to say, man, I have not run into too many church people like that. They won't even know what you are. I'll pray for you. Every time I think about it, I'm going to pray for you. Every time I get my car, mechanic, I'll pray for you. I mean, could you imagine if we started to have that kind of courage? What are they going to do? They're going to throw you in jail? Prison? You say, I can pray there. Maybe we'll start a, a prayer, prayer gathering. There's other people that believe in there. I mean, could you? If we just had that courage to say, "What? What is? What is the worst thing about? They they they, they kill me. Uh, where? What would happen then after you die? Do you believe that? 
suddenly we're the great providers and everyone depends on us. And we, I, I get that. I totally get that as a father. I totally get that. And I'm not trying to exaggerate this to make it just irrational. What I'm saying is I think we could stand to have a little more courage. I think we've played it safe long enough. I think we've quietly prayed in the corner briefly for our ham sandwich so we didn't upset anyone else in the restaurant. Amen. I think we've done that long enough. I think we've, again, we've tried to play it very careful. A bunch of careful Carl's running around here. Don't want to, don't want to, I wouldn't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Meanwhile, we're the ones uncomfortable. Some, I don't think all believers, but some. Meanwhile, then the believers who have conviction, they're the ones uncomfortable. Um, tell me where that's at in the Bible. It's not. Could you imagine being able to see Stephen right there that day? Standing there, just calm, in the moment, watching them just get furious, lose their mind, get angry. They grab him, they rough him up. Now he's going to change his tune. No, the next chapter he's going to teach an incredible history lesson of the Old Testament, which they're supposed to know, and showing them how it all gets to Jesus. They don't, they don't want to hear it. Would that be inspiring to you? If you have an ounce of courage at all, you'd say, yep, that's a guy I'd like to run with. That's a guy I want on my side. Stephen's a guy that I want praying for me. Stephen's a guy that when you get to heaven, you're like, where's he at? <laughs> where's he at? I want to meet him. I got some questions. I want to talk to him. I want to know. I want to remind you, in the midst of this, in the midst of this is a Saul that will become the greatest church planter and missionary this world has ever seen. One of the people gazing at him with fury in his eyes and hatred in his heart is going to give his life to Christ. And perhaps we're here today because somewhere along the way, something that Saul touched, Saul became Paul. People of faith begin to increase. Because on that day, Stephen said, I'm not budging. I think, and it's not in the, I think when, when Saul went home that night and he laid down, his head hit the pillow, I think he replayed the events. Saul's a guy that was very smart. He knows his Old Testament. And I wonder if he doesn't lay there starting to connect the dots and say, okay, he, he's not wrong on that one either. Yep, that did happen. Yep, David did do that. Moses did say that. And I wonder if his heart doesn't soften a bit so that when Jesus just rocks his world here in a little bit, he, he's completely ready for it. That might be the people you're running up on. That might be someone listening here. Uh, listen to this podcast. I tell you, put your faith in Christ. It's your only hope. Amen. Think about that. Read Acts chapter 6. Amen. Thanks for listening. And let's keep pursuing biblical manliness. 